0: Thank you so much.
1: Clean up your diet. That would be the first thing. The second thing I would suggest is to go gluten-free. Not because I think that gluten is the devil, but more so because it increases gut permeability and there is a high likelihood that you have some sort of GI problem lingering under the surface, even without any like gut symptoms. Mm-hmm. So by removing gluten, it can help reduce the inflammation and help keep at least what's in the gut, hopefully, in the gut, not permeating into your body, triggering other types of immune and inflammatory responses. Welcome back to
0: The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Hey, hey, buddies. Welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. This week, we are talking all about skin health. And in particular, we're talking about what happens when our skin gets irritated, the concept of leaky skin. So just like leaky gut and leaky brain, there is something called leaky skin. And what we can do about more severe skin rashes, things like eczema, rosacea, psoriasis, which a lot of people suffer from and of course are often suffering in silence because when we have something that is on our skin, it can be debilitating. There can be lots of shame, lots of guilt. And, you know, people will cover themselves up at all costs. Now I had this great conversation with Jennifer Fugo. She is a functional clinical nutritionist and she has talked about 16 root causes of skin problems. So this ranges from everything from gut dysbiosis all the way to autoimmunity. We talk about the connection between the liver and skin health and how there may be leaky guts and leaky skin that coincide with each other. And we talk about some skin diet principles. So we talk about what are some things that we can be doing from a nutritional perspective? What are some things that we can be doing from a stress management perspective? And much, much more. And Jen is such a wealth of of information. I really enjoyed talking to her. And as we move into the winter months, if you do have a skin issue, it often tends to get exacerbated in the extreme. So either in the wintertime or in the summertime. And Jen describes her own story of eczema and the impact that that had on her life and then why she was able to really begin to focus on bringing awareness to eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, all all of the things and then some of the ways that we can begin to heal. So this was a great conversation. Jennifer is a wealth of information as I mentioned. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Fugo. Yeah. Thank you for having me I really appreciate it oh this is this is a conversation uh, that I have really been looking forward to I was just telling you in the pre-chat and I'll say this here for for our Bettys our listeners of the podcast that what we're gonna talk about today so many people suffer in silence like this is, such a big topic that I don't think that we recognize the emotional toll, the lifestyle, the change that happens when we have skin uh, issues. And we're going to talk today about eczema and psoriasis and maybe rosacea if we have some time, but I really want to I really wanted to talk to you because I love your approach. It is very unique and it is very different than really the traditional allopathic dermatological approach that we see. So, before we kind of get into all of that, of course, I always, I on my, you know, I'm always interviewing like what I, who I feel are super heroines and, and superheroes, and you are certainly one of those. How did you start to work in skin and skin rashes and skin disorders? What is was there something that happened for you? Is it uh, like a passion project or something that's very meaningful to you like how did this how did this become part of your life's work
1: well i i had eczema <laughs> that's how this basically happened um i was in grad school back in 2014 and running a business full time going to grad school full time so very stressful situations and i was not eating as well and not taking care of myself as much which just seems to be the par for the course for people you know in, in their not older years but i mean i wasn't in my 20s anymore and i um you know i wanted to go back to school i was really interested in becoming a clinical nutritionist and i started to get these weird bubbles on my fingers and i couldn't figure out what it was it looked like these clear glass beads under the skin and i noticed it specifically on my right middle finger and i thought i oh, don't know what that is. Is it an infection? Like it didn't do anything. It wasn't red. It just was these weird bubbles. And then as we moved into the summer months, the area became more irritated and would become very itchy. And then the bubbles would like burst essentially, and I would go through this weird flare and then it would seem to dry out, calm down, and then start over again. And it would get worse and worse. And then the rash started to spread up my fingers and then down onto my palms, um, onto the back of my finger, uh, my fingers. Because um, dyshidroidic eczema, which is ultimately what I had, it is predominantly on the palms of the hands and the bottoms of the feet. And I didn't know what it was, but my dad... Was a doctor. And so he's like, Well, you have some sort of eczema. Here's a steroid cream, but don't use this too much. Use it as little and as sparingly as possible. And, um, you know, hopefully it'll go away. Hopefully. Well, it didn't. It got worse. Uh, It actually started to damage my nails. And it's so the steroid I steroid
0: cream or the eczema? No,
1: the eczema, eczema mm. on the hands can start to damage your nail growth. It's mm-hmm. so where the nails become pitted, um, they become wavy almost. Um, yeah. So my nails looked very messed up, and it was it was honestly embarrassing. Um, and I went to a dermatologist, and the suggestion was to use steroid creams, vanity cream, and to put petroleum jelly on my hands to keep the moisture in. And I'm like, okay, well, do you understand? Just, I don't want to do that, A, because it's like a petroleum-based product. But aside from that, it's not practical. I have cats and everything I touch in my house. I have to pick up up things. (laughs) (laughs) I have to get dressed. Utterly impractical. Um, And I would carry around these packets of gloves because I couldn't wash my hands anymore. They had become so cracked and so damaged that... When I would go to wash my hands, the water, just the water alone, burned so badly that it was incredibly painful. So, like, then using soap was even worse. I had to stop going to the gym. I had to stop cooking without gloves on. Um, I used to teach cooking classes. That had to stop because people, let me tell you, people look at you real funny if you are making their food and your hands don't look very good normal right. and healthy right. with healthy right. skin. Um, and I had to stop doing a lot of things. I couldn't even grasp a doorknob to turn it with force because the skin was... At, like Especially in the winter time would become so dried out, so delicate just to bend my fingers would cause those areas that were bent to crack open. So... It was just like nonstop problem. Plus, it would become incredibly itchy. Um, there was nights where I'd wake up. I didn't know that I was itching my hands, and I was get blood on my sheets. I mean, it was just absolutely miserable. And I almost decided to just like forget about the master's degree in clinical nutrition because I was like, if I can't figure this out, how am I ever going to work with clients? I mean, this is it made me feel incredibly unhealthy. So, my husband. You know, like you were saying about how it's a really dark place. I was in a really dark place. And thank God mm-hmm. for my husband because he had said to me, look, you know, why don't you act like you're your own client and see if you can kind of look at this from a different perspective. And I looked up lots of remedies. They did not work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it would make things worse. <laughs> um, I bought a lot of products off of Amazon and from Whole Foods and all sorts of nat- anything natural I could find. Some kind of helped. Some didn't do anything. And I felt very frustrated, but as a shot in the dark, I put together this crazy protocol that I would never, ever, like now with all the information I know, ever give clients. People always go, what did you do? I'm like, no, I'm not even gonna tell you because it would probably wouldn't work now. But it took six months. The flare slowly stopped. Um, it took another almost six months for the skin to completely clear up, and then my nails began to grow out correctly. I have had a handful of flares between that point and now. Um, my worst was last year when I decided to add a lot of resistant starch to my diet, and that made my eczema. I, look, we were just talking about don't identify with your disease. And I'm just like yes. my eczema, um, but it, it <laughs> caused my hands to flare back up. Resistance and, starches did
0: the resistance. Yes,
1: I oh. uh, had tons of GI issues as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, started to have a whole lot of what I thought were what I can only describe them as gallbladder attacks, where I would have severe, excruciating pain in that gallbladder region that I would have. To, I'd be bent over in debilitating pain for hours, and I couldn't pin point it to a food or anything. Um, and upon having stool testing, I discovered that there was actually a couple infections and other things. So I've been working on that for the last year. And um, it's been really eye-opening because I could have just like walked away. I, I predominantly had a practice when I graduated that was focused around gut issues because I I knew all about gluten and diarrhea and all these gut issues. And for some reason... And I don't know why I didn't put it out there. I started to get clients that had skin issues. And the more that I was in the Facebook groups, I'd see photos of people. like People share their photos and they ask for help or they're like, oh my gosh, I can't bear. This is like my daughter or whatever. And it broke my heart to to see that people really felt like they had nothing better to, to do, to help themselves. They're just like trying these other creams, trying another product. And I thought, you know what? I actually want to try looking at this from a completely different perspective and see if there's other things that are being missed or overlooked or even assumed. I find there are. I don't like to be critical of of other things at times, but I do think it's important to be honest when we feel things are working and when they're not. And I do feel to some degree like functional medicine has slightly failed skin issues as well. They don't deal with them very well, and I think that we need to revisit it from just a a totally different perspective. And so that's where I started my website and I started my podcast. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm on a mission. I want people to know that there are other options out there. There are other causes. It's not just genetic. It's not just because your mom has it. It's not just because you have sensitive skin. I'm I'm like so tired of those excuses at this point because no one wants to look any deeper. And so I love what I do helping people find answers and um and finally getting back to much healthier skin.
0: Well, I love what you're saying around the timeline. So you said, you know, it took about six months for me to do uh, to start to see the changes in my skin, and then I think you said another nine months to a year before your nails uh, had gone from dysregulated to looking normal again. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important key piece. Whenever we're trying to heal something naturally. and getting to the root cause of things, I think that we have conditioned ourselves. I'm not sure if the medical model has conditioned us, or we have conditioned our doctors, where we want to walk into the doctor and we get the magic fix that's going to be done in like three to five days. But I love that there's a that you gave yourself enough of the grace and enough of you know enough of a runway <laughs> to really step into it and yeah. say, okay, I'm going to give this enough time in order to accrue enough data to see whether or not this is actually working. Because I, I I cringe when it's like the, you know, even, you know, you see these, like I work in like the hormonal space. You see mm-hmm. these like detox teas and, you know, these like basic, they're basically <laughs> laxatives that 30 are days dehydrated. Less. 30 day, yeah. All that, all that stuff. I, I really hate that. And I, because yeah. I think that the body, I mean, you're really doing a disservice and you're dishonoring mm-hmm. the temple that is your body. So thank you for saying that. And I, 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 before we get into some of the specifics around this, you said that you went to your dermatologist and they said, well, Here's some Vaseline, super impractical. Here's some other topical, you know, corticosteroids or or what yeah. what have you. Um, you had you had given yourself an entirely different protocol, so we can. I know you said I don't want to share it, but I'm sure that we can talk about some causes that you see in practice. Yes. What? Why do you think that some of the why do you think that some of the root causes were not presented to you as options in the dermatologist? Why Why was that? Why was it, here's the topical cream, here, wear the Vaseline, and I'm so sorry, but you're
1: stuck with it. Why mm-hmm. Why is that? Why do you I think, think that? I think part of the reason, and it's a good question, part of the reason is that they're just looking at the skin. And there are, at least in the United States, there are standards of care. And so doctors have to operate within this, little box or else they can lose their medical license whether they agree with you or not i haven't found many dermatologists that agree with me now there are a growing number it's small but there are a growing number of very forward-thinking dermatologists who do step outside of the box to varying degrees and are interested in looking at other root causes but to be honest with you The root causes that are presented to people in an office include like allergies to your laundry detergent and soaps and, you know, body care products, uh, dander issues and pets, allergens. And that's about it. And then they'll say, oh, well, it's genetic. Right. And I don't, I don't fully understand why it doesn't go deeper. What I do understand from people who have expressed frustration to me is that research is taking up to ten years sometimes to trickle down. Yeah, and that when, like, during, I mean, my dad was an ophthalmologist. I had gone to medical conferences with him. It's been a while, but when we would go. It, it was a presentation from Allergan. It was a presentation from Bausch and Lomb. It's only drugs and surgical devices and. There's nobody saying, hey, um, should you maybe look in the gut and see if you have Staph aureus in your gut as well? (laughs) Like, there's there's nobody
0: advocating. There's probably no No. funding for that. There's no, you can't go. I mean, you can now go into PubMed and do a meta-analysis on Mm -hmm. and and looking at those things. But no, it's also hard to fund those things because if there's Mm -hmm. not a product at the end of it, there's not a call to action that requires a topical cream or some sort of, you know, money-generating thing. And I'm not poo-pooing on, uh, like, we're not poo-pooing on dermatologists. Of course, they're doing the best that they can. But they are, it is really important for us to understand that the philosophy, in the paradigm that they work in they work with symptoms so they are going to see the rash and say okay well we got to patch up we got to get the we got to mm-hmm. reduce the rash so they are going to do that in the quickest way that they know how and in most cases that's some sort of topical they're not going to say hmm, let's uh do you do you think that you have any heavy metal uh exposure or <laughs> you know how's your you know what's the gut microbiome no. saying like that's not done like you you're you, I mean you would, I mean and in the same vein as a patient you would never just you know without a skin rash go to a dermatologist and be like hey you know what I'm feeling great I have no problems with my skin I just wanted to come in for an appointment like they have nothing yeah. to do there's nothing for that for them to do right so um okay so let's let's talk about some of the things you said you practice differently than some of the dermatologists or many most dermatologists what are some of the hidden root causes that you've identified in your clinical practice and in your work that are commonly not explored in the in mm-hmm. this allopathic model. What are some of the reasons why someone might be experiencing? And I'm, I'm sure it's not all of them. I'm sure it's like sometimes it's a handful of them. Like what what are they, and how common do you you know how many of them do you typically see in, in clinical practice?
1: Yeah. So um, what I have kind of figured out is that there are 16 root causes that I am looking for and evaluating clients for. Um, And this goes, I think it's important to say this up front because people have heard me now just talk about eczema, but I work with people who have all different chronic skin rash conditions like psoriasis, seborrheic dermatitis, some of you know that as dandruff, um, rosacea, tinea versicolor. So it's not specific to eczema nor to a specific type. And we can talk more about that later if you'd like. But for right now, just understand that The way your skin manifests a rash or whatever's coming out, it is just how these issues tend to show up in your skin. And so what I'm looking for is like what boxes are we going to tick off and and then figure out the priority in which to address them. So basically the first is a microbiome dysbiosis. This can happen both in the gut as well as on the skin and actually in other areas as well, because we have microbiomes everywhere. Um, gut dysfunction. Diet and food reactions. And I just want to like underscore that this is one of 16 because a lot of people go, oh, I'm just going to change my diet and this will fix me. Most of my clients' diet has not done a darn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just one piece of the puzzle. Nutritional deficiencies, liver detox challenges, trauma, unmanaged stress, genetic implications. So like filaggrin is a very important gene when it comes to skin. Um, you can see in literature that... There are genetic implications as far as SNPs or dysregulation due to inflammation within the body that causes an issue with the way filagrin, the, the protein filaggrin is being produced by the gene filaggrin. Um, so that's pretty in, an important part to part skin barrier function. There's thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalances. So you could look at blood sugar regulation as well as sex hormones, autoimmunity, Drug reactions. So drug reactions can actually trigger skin issues. Uh, for example, I worked with one client who took Remicade and that actually triggered her psoriasis. Wow. Um, and there's actually some blood pressure medications that can do that as well. There's. It's really interesting. So I like. that's why I like to dig and ask, what happened when you this actually started? Um, mitochondrial dysfunction, because we need our healthy little power plants up and running and providing energy for cells to do what they need to do. Heavy metals, environmental toxins are certainly, a factor as well as environmental allergies, especially pollen allergies, um, especially if someone presents with more of a histamine picture where they also have asthma, um, a lot of itching, that kind of stuff. Um, I really want to dig into their allergies.
0: Hives as well. Would hives be in there too? Oh,
1: yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, great. So let's let's double click on a couple of them that you said there. So you talked about liver detoxification. Uh, you talked about gut dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. What is the relationship? I'd like to explore and maybe unpack a little bit of the relationship between the gut, the liver, and the skin. So let, let's maybe start with liver first, uh, and then we can move into the gut. So how is liver health related to skin health?
1: Liver health is related to skin health in that your liver has very specific biochemical pathways that require certain nutrients in phase two detox in order to operate. So this isn't about doing a liver cleanse. I don't actually. This is confusing.
0: We're not talking about no. Juicing. We're talking about actual the actual pathways yes. of detox. Yes, yes. your mm-hmm.
1: liver. And actually, I this is not my phrase. It's Chris Masterjohn's. He said someplace that your liver is not a fish filter, and that is correct. It is not a fish filter. It. Does a lot of different things, and so between fate there's a phase one um, that's, of that's liver really detox. Funny, actually,
0: <laughs> not a fish filter. Oh, it's it's not like a, a
1: huge filter. organ. If you actually look at anatomy, this
0: <laughs> big fish filter on the right. side. It's so funny. I'm sorry. Continue. Oh, no, it's
1: sorry. okay. It's good. Yeah. You know, it's a good like graphic in your yeah. mind. Like, it's a like good visual. Okay. Yeah, good yeah. visual. So, um, you have phase one. And then I imagine that there's a waiting room between phase one and phase two. Mm -hmm. Phase two requires very specific nutrients in order to run. And just for the sake of this conversation, we'll just talk about one pathway because this is actually an action step that your listeners can take as soon as they are finished uh, listening to this podcast. So the glycine pathway is very important because it handles salicylates. So a lot of times if someone finds out that they're sensitive to salicylates, sal- or salicylate-rich foods, the reason is that their glycine pathway is overwhelmed. They don't have enough glycine. They don't have enough B6 to handle it. And so they react to salicylate-rich foods causing eczema and eczema flares. And so... The glycine pathway is really important because it handles all these toxins. It deals with solvents in your um, surrounding environment. But what I came to discover through doing a lot of organic acid testing was that oftentimes when gut dysbiosis was present, there was way too much benzoate. There was way too much hippurate in the system, which indicated that there was this high load passing down the glycine pathway. And I started to think, well, why was I ever told to recommend um, you know, glutamine? I don't really notice such an improvement or not in using it or not using it. So I just stopped making that recommendation and started asking people to add in glycine and noticed um, that people reacted much less or herxed or detoxed, whatever you want to call it, much less by adding in glycine. And it got me thinking that there was this really important thing we need to do before we start addressing gut issues, which is support your liver. Correct. So when I started working with skin clients, I did the same thing naturally because I realized, like, hey, they have a gut issue potentially, or we know that from testing. So let's actually add glycine in. Well, I found that by adding in glycine, those skin clients were much less likely to flare. And so it is always possible anything that you choose to do especially with your skin, you can flare from it. I'm not going to lie. I like to be very upfront and honest with people, especially about the length of time it's going to take to get things done. But you can flare. And so you need to prepare the liver because that waiting room between phase one and phase two starts to get packed. If you've already been dealing with a huge load within your GI tract of bugs that are really unfriendly to you and you're you know, like... I don't even know. I mean, a lot of people have tremendous dysbiosis, unfortunately, even if they don't have GI symptoms.
0: Right. You can be silent. And that's actually another important thing. Like you can have a lot of gut dysbiosis or even hyperpermeability Mm -hmm. of the gut and not actually Mm -hmm. know it. Right. And it's just sort of like the, I I forget this. It's like the last straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm -hmm. There can be some other stressor that you're adding on. And then we start to see the skin and you're like, well, what is this? And you may not even connect it, you know, anatomically or physiologically to the gut, but it is, or Mm -hmm. to the, or to the liver. So it's important. Uh, You're making an important point here. I just wanted to agree with you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's where I was like, okay, wait. If the, li- the glycine pathway is overwhelmed and it can't handle what's already happening, then let's see what happens when people do... Like, I've had clients where they're like, oh, I did a candida cleanse and my skin got so much worse. And I realized that it was because the liver can't already handle these pathways, can't handle what is already going on. And now you're going into what's essentially like a some sort of kill protocol, throwing even more toxins into the system that your liver has to deal with. And it's just like, whoa, Nellie, I cannot do this. This too is much too already much
0: already on my to do list. Right. Have too and
1: much. so you've got this packed waiting room, and your liver's like, I got to do something with all this. And it just starts pushing it out. And so mm. you start to, you know, our, our skin is a detox pathway. So that was one I don't you know, I, I kind of learned this from practice that you have to make sure to support the liver before you start going into addressing these gut imbalances, because otherwise with skin issues, the skin is so the, the balance of it being flared and not flared, it feels very fragile, and people become very afraid too to go into a flare because it, be, it can be so debilitating mm-hmm. So that's why I suggest that people. And it's a really easy thing to do. You can get some glycine powder and you start taking about 3,000 to 5,000 milligrams once to twice a day. And that might sound like a lot, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually not. Um, actually, you know, a lot of times I'll recommend Now Foods, they have a canister, it's really inexpensive. And um, I think three milligrams is three quarters of a teaspoon. It's it's a sweet, Mm -hmm. uh, it has a slightly sweet taste. You can add it to a little bit of water, swirl around and drink it. And um, I I would say with B6, you have to be careful because you can overdo it with B6 supplementation. I would say um, just not knowing anyone's particular situation you know, probably staying somewhere around five milligrams a day, maybe 10 milligrams might be like if you're not working with someone, that would probably be okay to do on your own. Beyond that, you want to really work with a practitioner to make sure that you're not overdoing it with B6. Right. So we are... Let, let's move a little bit into uh, the gut. And I've
0: heard you... Mm-hmm. Used the term leaky skin before, and I want to actually pair that with leaky gut. And I've used the term leaky brain before. Like, you know, I I really like this this term leaky because it's really easy for people to understand. And of course, when we say leaky gut, what we're referring to is the barrier, right? So Mm -hmm. there's this hyperpermeability, or it's much easier for particles and, you know, bits of digested food and even like parts of, you know, cells and stuff to get through the, 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 the barrier of the gut and into the blood. Stream. This is also true of the integrity of the skin's barrier. So, can you explain the relationship uh, between leaky, a leaky gut, or problems with hyperpermeability, and we can also tie in mm-hmm. gut dysbiosis here, and as well as leaky, you know, a leaky skin barrier.
1: Yeah. So the first time I ever heard of leaky skin was when I was doing this research myself. And it was actually on uh, Sarah Ballantyne, the paleo ma- mom's yeah. website. Yeah, yeah. So it's not my term. Um, and But it, it is really accurate for what essentially happens. So if you recall, we were talking about those root causes of skin issues. And I mentioned filaggrin, which is a gene. The gene codes for a protein, which is also called filaggrin, And so phalagrin is similar to... I always like to call it like the mortar mix between the cells. So if you imagine... And this is sort of the same for your gut. there It's one cell layer thick, whereas our skin has multiple layers. However, just for example's sake and simplicity's sake, imagine that you're looking at a brick wall. And with a really nice brand new brick wall, you're going to see this really beautifully pointed mortar mix between the bricks. So it's very solid. It keeps the bugs out, the ivy out. It's really nice and, and, and um, perfect. With time where we start to see this leakiness is when that mortar mix degrades and bugs can start crawling inside the building. Ivy can get in, you get all sorts of stuff, rain, et cetera. And we no longer have this really strong barrier. And so with filagrin, what happens is that some people, a small number of people that we are aware of have a genetic snip that causes them to produce poor quality filagrin.
0: Poor quality mortar mix.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I know what someone's going to ask because they're going to go, well, wait, how do I get tested for that? You don't need to get tested for that. To be honest with you, it's too complicated. And even if you did have the SNP, there's not a whole lot you can do. What's more important to recognize here is how does the the gene essentially become uh, sort of disoriented so that it's no longer producing an appropriate, healthy protein? So we want that mortar mix to be produced correctly, right? To mix it up in the right proportions, but it's not. And what drives that dysregulation or that, that dysfunction is internal inflammation. And mm-hmm. we know that that internal inflammation can come any, from anywhere. Yeah. That's where this sort of like concept is just saying that it's all at the layer of the skin is mistaken because if you know that your barrier function is compromised and you have to say, well, what's driving the inflammation? The other reason I also want to clarify this as well is that when we have leaky skin, um, and this can also happen due to staph, uh, staph aureus being present on the skin because it produces toxins that also disrupt the barriers. So we, we can have both an internal and external response. We need to be conscious of the fact that our skin is so sensitive to internal Undulate like when when things are off when things aren't operating correctly the skin is not the top priority your heart your lungs your brain is a top priority the skin's not so when you start to have deficiencies for example of like zinc um, magnesium selenium etc the body's going to prioritize where those nutrients go it's not going to go to the skin so that's why it's imperative to recognize that we need to find where the inflammation is coming from, where the stressors are coming from internally, and connect all of those dots to help refill the wells. Um, I'll just also mention very briefly that the biologic drugs that are used to help eczema, for example, or um, like Humira, for example, that's used with psoriasis, those drugs are just to block inflammation pathways. That's how you know that these conditions they work so well because these conditions are inflammation driven. Mm-hmm. So if you are just saying I'm only going to change my diet and I'm going to do gluten free or dairy free or egg free and it's a real slippery slope with the diets in the skin world by the way. You're on you're not you're only going to get so far because the infl- the inflammatory piece has multiple components to it and looking at it from a diet perspective is is uh, short-sighted, unfortunately.
0: and it's one. It's one piece of the puzzle, right? And Correct. I, I love what you're saying around genetics, because you know we all. I can't remember. I'm going to misappropriate who said this quote, but it might be Mark Hyman, might be Deepak Chopra. I have to. I will. I will look it up, and it'll be in the show notes. But it's genetics. Loads the gun, mm-hmm. the epigenetics pulls the trigger. Right? right, so you could have a faulty snip. You could have the filaggrin, the the gene that is slow, or it's it's mangling up the protein uh, in its creation. But if you are able to manipulate your environment, you are able to manipulate both your external and your internal environment, as you're saying, to reduce these markers or these proxies of inflammation. Then you can also improve. You can also improve the mortar mix, or you can improve mm-hmm. the the um, the environment in which the mortar makes lives, right? So you're going to slow exactly. down the degradation as you were saying. So let's, let's just pause. Let's double click there for a sec. Let, what are some general recommendations that you can make to reduce inflammation? And some of these can be dietary, something like anywhere you want to go with this. And, and what are some Ooh. typical recommendations um, that you typically give some of your, some of your clients?
1: Um, I already talked about the the glycine and B6. That's really important. That's step one. I tell that to so many clients. I'm like, just (laughs) do it. Yeah, Do it if you're not even a client, like just get started on that.
0: Just be prophylactic with it. Take a little yes. glycine, yeah. It's
1: not gonna hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing I would say is to start taking stock of all of the symptoms that you have. The one big mistake that a lot of people with skin rashes make is they fixate on the skin. They mm. also fixate on their condition. And so if you're looking at what what are my inflammatory triggers, We need to look at the body's symptoms as almost like a treasure map to help us figure that out. And so a lot of times, like people say, I'll I'll go, what are your main concerns? Eczema. I'm like, okay, what else is going on? Well, I have itchiness. And like, like two other things. Descri-
0: now you're describing the eczema. Right.
1: And I'm yeah. like, okay, well, like how many times a day do you poop? Mm-hmm. Um, are you having any other dysfunction? Do you have headaches? Do you have tingling in your hands and feet? Like I'm looking for others. And they're like, but well, that's not important. That's not about my skin. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Because inflammation can and stress, I mean, the internal stress that nutrient depletions and what's going on in the liver, what's going on in the GI tract, that stress is not something you can just like check out on. You can't like punch the clock and walk away from it. It is with yeah. you all the time. You can't and have even... a toxic
0: job and hate your husband right. and you know have mold in your house <laughs> and, and not deal with those things, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. And it's yeah. also difficult, you can't walk away from gut infections or right. some sort of dysbiosis. Yeah. So You know, I like to have people check their stomach acid. That's really important. A lot of people do not have sufficient stomach acid, so that's one area that we tend to um, evaluate. Um, And you can easily. I have to thank you so much.
0: I have to thank you so much for saying this. Yes, I'm so excited (laughs) you're saying this. I'm sorry. I'm so. So many people do not have sufficient stomach acid. Yeah. So and you know, we take and then the funny thing is is that they will get acid blockers. So it's like, oh, I have a little indigestion. And they get it's like, oh, can we please just do the acid-based test? Like, are you can you explain? Do you do the acid-based test with your clients?
1: I so what I do actually is the baking soda test. And the reason is that I have such a like pretty high rate of H. pylori Mm. that I don't want to. I get a little nervous. I guess too, because I'm a clinical nutritionist, not a doctor. And so I work with a lot of people that have gas, you know, they have a lot of like a lot of GI problems and whatnot. So I want to do the least amount of like potential harm. And I don't want someone to like be like, oh my gosh, my stomach was burning. Right. So um I do the baking soda test, which allows people to determine whether they are burping or not. And then usually my recommendation would be to do a stool test as well, something like the GI map, because well, if you, if you put keep adding acid, that's the other problem. If you assume that you just have low stomach acid, which maybe you do, but you assume that it's just because you don't have enough stomach acid and so you start taking betaine HCL. At the same time, you may not know until you do testing that you have H. pylori. And H. pylori is pretty common, and especially in the like more histamine picture of skin issues, mm-hmm. though I have found it in people who have rosacea as well as psoriasis. Um, the it, the betaine HCL reacidifies the stomach, which is great for digestion, but it drives the bugs deeper into the tissue, making it more difficult to detect and to clear. So that's where I'm like, well, let's start. And you're with also not getting enzymes. to the root.
0: You're also if right. You're just, if you're just giving HCL, you're not you're not answering the question. Why is the HCL low? Correct. Yeah. Correct.
1: And so H pylori is a really important you know facet to the to the conversation as well. Um, that's something i like if it's there i'm we're going to deal with it we're going to we're going to get rid of that because it can make a huge improvement especially for someone like i've had clients that are on two inhalers like steroid inhalers tons of antihistamines super itchy can't sleep at night and just getting rid of the h pylori and this is even like sometimes it's so bad i'll just tell them i'm like go back to your doctor get do the triple therapy with the ppi i know that like that's not ideal, but you are just so uncomfortable. Like we have to think about quality of life. And within a week, because that therapy works so much faster, like my one client, she was able to just go back to using her inhalers occasionally. She didn't need as much antihistamine. She was able to sleep at night. Their heartburn stopped. She was so much more comfortable that she was able to function. So for me, that was a huge win. And so I like I'm not. I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm a little agnostic about what the choice is ultimately of the client because I feel like our, it's not my right to make the decision for them. Like, Sure, I have a preference, but my preference is my business. It's not theirs. So for me, I like to have the conversation, prevent, present someone with all the sides and let them make the choice. Um, but as far as like inflammatory triggers are concerned, I mean, you also need to check. I'm going to say this very clearly. as like, you need to get your thyroid checked as well. That's something that someone can go and get a full thyroid panel run either on their own or at their, through their doctor, especially if you have psoriasis. There is a really, um, there's a big connection between Hashimoto's and psoriasis. Mm-hmm. I've had clients, one client, her TSH was 33. Oh no. yeah no one had ever checked. Wow. So it's it's important to recognize that. that's <laughs> it's like your e-
0: thyroid's like flatlined. Wow.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a big deal. So yeah. um, I always like to see thyroid. Um, and I also think too, if you can go back to your regular doctor, because a dermatologist is going to be uh, probably not gonna run blood labs and regular labs and, on and, you. And you know,
0: and the other thing with thyroid and this, like, kind of getting back to the conversation we we're talking about with standard of care is they're only also gonna run a couple of. Te- they're gonna run the TSH. They might run mm-hmm. T4, T3, maybe reverse T3, and that's it. Like, you're not gonna look at the antibodies. You're not gonna look mm-hmm. at the peroxidase. So those things also get missed. And to your point about standard of care, because it doesn't actually change getting that information in an allopathic model is actually not going to change. They're probably just going to give you synthroid, or they're probably just correct. Going to give you whatever medication um, that they were going to give you anyway. So this is also important to understand. We'll do. We haven't. We did a little bit of thyroid uh, on the podcast. I do. I do want to do a deeper dive on thyroid. We have not actually. We have not peeled that onion yet. <laughs> um, but yes, I like what you're saying around the uh, getting the thyroid uh, checked as well.
1: Yeah, I would definitely get the thyroid checked, and I would also go back to your doctor if you have never had labs run. Now is the time to do it. I know you might go, I don't understand why it's my skin. It's like, I look fine otherwise. But your skin is very nutrient hungry and it requires that all the other, like thyroid, it requires your thyroid, for example, to be operating optimally. Your thyroid requires nutrients. So if your thyroid's not operating optimally, then your skin will at some point probably take a hit. So that's why we want to keep in mind that nutrients are super important. Inflammatory markers are important. And even just getting like like a a comprehensive metabolic panel, um, a complete blood cell count, you could ask them for inflammatory markers like CRP and a sed rate. Maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't. Um, I always love to ask for vitamin D, vitamin A, folate, B12, you know, hopefully they'll run ferritin. Like that's usually like my minimum ask. Mm-hmm. And if there's other options, if they're open, I'll, tr- you know, try and get like homocysteine and whatnot. But again, it's what the doctor feels comfortable with running unless you're going to pay out of pocket. But that really helps us look for other sources of stressors, essentially, that could be contributing to this inflammatory state or where certain circumstances are preventing the absorption of these nutrients. Um, so it's just, it's a complicated, it is a complicated picture. And I, I wanted to mention, cause I like, I wrote a little note to myself here to go back and and answer this question. I apologize for everybody who's listening going, oh my gosh, I have 16 problems. You, <laughs> I have you all do, 16 of those you, things. You do not have all 16 <laughs> problems. I <laughs> I know. It took this long <laughs> to say this, but um, you do not have all 16 problems. Usually people have anywhere between three to five of the 16 that I mentioned. Mm. Sometimes it might be a little more, um, but it's important to recognize that you're not this huge mess. And it's also not to look at the list. is like, oh my gosh, this is a mountain in front of me. I don't know how. It's It's like, go, wow, there's all these other things that I actually have to explore that no one ever shared with me before. So try to find that positive, open approach to recognizing that there are potential issues in front of you that you can do something about.
0: I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, And I think the other the other piece of that too, and I'll say this, I only say this half jokingly, it's like you only have 16 of them if you are in professional school. Because when I was in professional school, I was like, oh my God, I have Graves' disease. Oh my God, I have Addison's disease. Like every time we learn something new, I'm like, that's me. So no, I but if, I'm just kidding. Of course you don't. But of course, you know, when we are thinking about these uh 16 things that you've listed, mm-hmm. the other thing to keep in mind is that your body has ancient wisdom that you are not even... You don't even have the capacity to tap into. So Mm -hmm. all your body is trying to tell you with these three to five things, or maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight, whatever, that she needs you to pay attention to her Mm -hmm. or he needs you to pay attention to him. And symptoms are just your body's language. And when you learn to speak your body's language, you can start to put in some new interventions. And your body just knows what to do with it, man. Like it is mm-hmm. it is so intuitive and innately brilliant. So I I I I parallel what you're saying because I believe in this vitalistic idea that you give your body the right input and it will give you the results that you want. So and three to five things, you know, that's not like okay, maybe the thyroid's out maybe there's some gut issues, maybe we've got some liver detox these things are fixable they mm-hmm. are complete and you are a testament to that because you see these clients all like you see these clients all day long right I um do. you do <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do and I actually really love it um and I think one thing that I hear over and over again is just people appreciate my approach because they know I've actually been there and I can really empathize and I don't judge people for their choices like if they continue to use a steroid cream or if they're on a biologic I'm not going to be like shame on you for making that choice I I'm I'm not it's not my journey you know I don't know what it's like to be in their shoes I know my experience was a living hell mm-hmm. and so I for, but I didn't have eczema all over my body. I don't. I didn't have psoriasis cracking all over my feet to the point where I couldn't wear shoes. So each of us has our own experience in this. And I think for anyone listening, especially if you don't have skin rashes, but you know someone who does, just understand that it's very difficult for you to fully understand the level of suffering and shame that comes along with these types of rashes. Um, it's. You feel very alone, even if you feel like people do accept you. Um, You know, I got really tired of hearing that I must just not know how to wash my hands, or um, that I must not be using the right moisturizer.
0: Yeah, these platitudes. It's like I you just want to throat punch people because it's like (laughs) if if there was a solution, I would have found it. And I and I I parallel that. And thank you for for sharing that because I think that. The emotional toll. And I said, I want to make sure that we talk about this in our pre-chat. I was like, let's make sure that we talk about this emotional toll because I think people think that you are a leper, that you're mm-hmm. that you're contagious, that you have this skin thing and you don't like, you don't know what to how to wash your hands and you now must be some dirty, infested, you know, whatever. And I I had, I've never had. Uh, your experience. and I, But I did. And I was saying this to you in the pre-chat and I'll share it now. When I was going through my divorce, um, it was an incredibly emotional, it was a very difficult time. And I've been with this man for 20 years. Like it was a big thing for us to be separating. And of course, you know, full load of patience, right? Like, you know, from seven (laughs) to whatever in the evening, seven in the morning. So, whatever it was, four or five in the afternoon. So, full day of patience. And then I started developing this like rash, this ocular rash around like my eye looked like someone had punched me and it was like scaly. And then it was sort of on the corner of my lip. And then I was getting it in my, like in the crevice of my elbow. And so I was like, okay, well, I can just cover this up with makeup. Well, Jokes on me like it doesn't matter how much professional makeup I put on that baby, it still showed through. Is like you know, you can't not make eye contact with someone when you're Mm. you know, have in a doctor patient relationship. So, I had patients. Um, we're like, what, what's, what is that? Is that you have something on your face? And it's like, I know, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, it's stress, you know, Mm -hmm. but even, and even with the explanation, there's a lot of shame around it. I felt like, why can't, why is my body doing this to me? Like, why? Like, you know, I'm going through a divorce. Isn't that enough? You know? So, um, I appreciate what you're saying in terms of that it was a living hell. And I can only imagine when you're, source of revenue. I mean, I'm sure it's a source of revenue for you to be cooking meals for people. And then all of a sudden not to be able to do that because no one wanted to eat your food, you know, and it's because they think that
1: there's something that they're going to catch from you or or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think there, there's... And a- even, can you imagine now, like now everyone is so obsessed with being clean yes. that pe- I know mm-hmm. from my community that people have, they're afraid, so they're constantly washing their hands. So that, especially if you have rashes, that makes Worse or hand so, sanitizer if you and hand to... sanitizer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to just make sure too that um I have some like one of the reasons I like to talk about the emotional side of things is because there actually is a pretty significant um suicide association with skin issues. So just understand that, and I'm sure that there is with acne and such, I don't really work with acne, um just more with a lot of these rash issues, but like for example. There was a JAMA dermatology study um, and they did this review and meta-analysis of 15 previous studies. um, And they found that eczema sufferers were 44% more likely to have suicidal thoughts and 36% more likely to attempt suicide. And so, um, like with psoriasis, uh, the journal of American Academy of Dermatology found that there was a 20% increased risk of suicide ideation, suicidal behaviors, attempts of suicide, as well as completed suicides. And it seemed to be that, um, there's the increased risk was higher in those who were younger as opposed to older with the condition. So for me, I think we're not talking about this enough, um, One disturbing uh, study found that a number, like I think it was one in eight people with eczema had actually seen their dermatologist within a month of committing suicide. And they were never... I mean, if you ask people who have skin issues, if their dermatologist has ever asked, just how are you doing? How are Mm -hmm. you emotionally coping? That is almost never asked.
0: Right, right. And
1: it's it's really a shame because it is so it is so hard for people. Um, and I can't imagine for parents, I don't work with young children and babies. So any supplement suggestions or nutritional suggestions I'm making, everyone, this is for adults. Right. <laughs> I just yeah. want to clarify that because a lot of moms think that the recommendations are the same for babies and young children and it is it is quite different. Um But I can't imagine being even like a mom or a dad who's really like you're up all night with your infant that's scratching himself and oozing and pussy and just like cannot rest and sleep. It it, it is so hard on families and um, my heart breaks for them. And it's one reason why I'm like, we have to do better.
0: Yes, agreed. Well said. So this might be a good place to talk about fats um in terms of um and it may not be, but uh we're gonna we're gonna go there anyway. <laughs> we're gonna make a <laughs> so, hard left turn. We're gonna hard, yeah. I, I wanna well I wanna because I think that um what you had you would mentioned something about nutrients and you'd said um you know the the nutrients that we use. And I think that fats are something that I wanted to talk to, you. and then I want to get into the specifics. I want to talk about eczema and psoriasis, but skin use for fats versus food use for fats. Um and you and I have had this conversation uh, in person. We were part of a mastermind uh, together a couple of years ago. And we talked about coconut oil before. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you had explained to me your opinion on coconut oil, of course it made sense. And I was like, why didn't I put that together? Like, that's so smart. And then of course, after having that conversation with you, I've had a couple of makeup artists tell me what their thoughts on, you know, that coconut oil is very, uh, you know, clogs the pores, mm-hmm. uh, very comedogenic. Um, so... Tell us why you're not on team coconut oil for um, <laughs> for skin issues. Because I think that, you know, we think about coconut, we're like, well, it's the perfect food. It's the perfect keto food. It's a saturated mm-hmm. fat. It's antimicrobial. It's anti-parasitic. It's antiviral. We swish our mouth with it. Like, it's so like, why is it, for, what is your opinion on coconut oil and why, uh, and maybe we can we can actually go mm-hmm. from there. So let's start with coconut, what you think about coconut oil.
1: Okay, so my opinion—I have to give credit where credit is due—is actually based off of having lengthy discussions with Karan Krishnan from Microbiomes Labs Mm. and Rachel Pontillo. Um, She is an esthetician and a skincare expert, and um, with ingredients. And so, basically, the problem is that—and I found this actually with when when I had eczema, I was using coconut oil. I would like put it in my smoothie and then wipe the rest on my hands, and I found like. It just didn't seem to go anywhere. It just stayed on the skin and almost made it feel hot. But I thought from reading blogs that coconut oil was the best thing ever. What I came to discover after talking to both of them was that coconut oil for eczema is like one of the worst things that you can do. The reason is that coconut oil is so saturated that it can't really be well absorbed through the skin. So that's problem number one. It'll just sit there like almost putting, You know, Rachel described it to me as like almost saran wrap over top of the skin. It can make it feel really hot and smothered. Um, The other issue is that it's way too antimicrobial. With eczema and also with some of these other skin issues, there is a dysbiosis of the skin, right? So the microbiome gets slanted in some way that's not really to its benefit. And so by putting something on the skin that's super antimicrobial, you're wiping out all of the good bugs along with the bad bugs. And unfortunately, bad bugs tend to come back much quicker. Quicker, And with eczema specifically, we always have to worry about overgrowths on the skin of things like staph aureus or strep. Um, there are a few instances where I have softened this stance <laughs> a had <laughs> in that, I will use like if a client complains of rashes in areas that are known yeasty. I'm putting this in air quotes for those listening to this. Known yeasty issues, um, or or red flags, um, or I know that they have a fungal issue going on due to testing and a really in depth case review. Um, I may ask them to use coconut oil topically as like a forty five minute treatment. <laughs> Them wipe oh, wow. it off, but mm-hmm. that's it, it's not going to sit on there. Um, so, like, say, for example, for anybody listening, the red flag areas for yeast are areas that sweat um, or fold over. So the eyes of the elbows, the the kind of like inside bend of the wrist, the un- underarms, under the breast, um, especially if you have any folds of skin around the abdomen, the groin and the feet, those are all red flags. Also the back of the neck where we sweat in the nape of the neck. Mm. If you have rashes there, I'm not saying 100% that yeast is the issue, but it should be like, hmm.
0: On your differentials. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I was like, yeah. hmm. Mm. So we should consider that. Um, And so in those instances, I think coconut oil is okay. Uh, Some people with psoriasis have told me that it's been a game changer for them and really helpful. But I have an article on my website that has so many comments from people who have eczema who realized after stopping it that it it was actually making their skin worse. And there's also, because of the excessive use of coconut oil, I have more clients that are developing coconut allergies. So you might actually be having an allergic reaction to the coconut oil, which feels like a flare, but it's actually the coconut oil itself.
0: Okay. So that's really useful and I remember after our conversation I had a tub of coconut oil and a tub of olive oil. Uh, and that's like my moisturizer. So my grandmother, this is how she used to moist, she would take her makeup off with olive oil and she would always say like listen, you're never going to get anything in the store that's as good as olive oil. Like it's the and my grandmother, both my grandmothers on both sides of my family, excellent skin. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do the olive oil and then I adopted the coconut oil because of the coconut oil is the magic oil. You know, Mm -hmm. it's everything oil. Um, But I believe it was shortly after our conversation that I was sitting down having my makeup done by you know some woman and she's like oh my god and she was talking about the you know i was telling her i use coconut oil she's like you are going to clog up your skin <laughs> and all the women that i like the models that i use that use mm-hmm. coconut oil we always have to like do this thing before like this like peel or whatever before the makeup is applied i was like okay i am a vain woman i will listen to these <laughs> I will listen to these experts right so i now i primarily use olive oil as like it's my post bath, you know, kind of moisturizer. And, you know, you just can't get any, in my opinion, you just can't get any better than, I mean, I'm sure there's, maybe you have an opinion on olive oil or um, things that are not coconut oil as, as moisturizer. Do you, is that useful for the general public with, you know, men and women with eczema, psoriasis, or does it really depend on the person?
1: It can be. I think it depends on the person. So, some people find that olive oil can be helpful. My colleague, Jennifer Brand, who does, I send all my um, pediatric requests to her. She finds that for some reason, olive oil in young children and babies actually is exacerbating. So, she doesn't recommend it anymore. Um, I prefer like jojoba, which is really Mm -hmm. close to the natural sebum that our skin produces. However, for those of us that live in more, Wintery <laughs> environments with snow and cold temperatures, like you and I both do, it's not. It just doesn't feel like it's heavy enough in the winter time. So, agreed, um, agreed. Yeah. you know, sesame seed oil can be helpful. Some people prefer avocado oil. Um, there's a lot of different options out there. Emu oil is another one. Sunflower seed oil. Um, And so there's some research behind some of these. Others, it's just like trial and error. But I I should clarify that if you're buying a product and say you have eczema and there's coconut oil in the ingredients list, especially if it's pretty high up, you probably want to stop using that product as well.
0: Right. So almost do like an elimination, not a Mm -hmm. a diet, but an elimination of the product and see if the symptoms start to resolve or at least ameliorate in some way.
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay,
0: so we've been kind of dancing around eczema and psoriasis. I want to now I want to dive head first into the deep end. What is eczema? And I actually want to contrast this with what psoriasis is because I think people just conf, like they conflate the two. It's like, oh, it's some sort of skin rash. Both of them are red. So, let let's talk about what eczema is and we were talking in the pre-chat about all the different categories of eczema. Not necessary that we go over them. I mean, we can kind of name a couple of the big The big ones, Um, but like I was saying, we were saying in the pre-chat, like the label, as you were saying, doesn't really matter, right? Like Mm -hmm. what it is doesn't like what the label is is almost irrelevant. It's really what you do with understanding. You have some sort of co-infection, or there's some something else going on in the background that's causing this flare up in, in the skin so let's start with what is eczema and how and maybe how it's different from psoriasis because I want I want to do a deep dive into both of those
1: I would say eczema is more of an inflammatory skin condition where you're looking at redness, sometimes itchiness uh, it actually it presents all in different ways I will say that um, but typically redness some sort of itchiness you can also have dryness and scaling but it's usually, Pretty limited to like maybe a thin layer on the skin, and you'll end up with like flakes everywhere. Um, and a lot of times, like if there's a more histamine picture, there could also be swelling. Um, you could have almost like a hive type presentation, um, and sometimes you just feel like your skin is kind of inflamed. Um, it can be that you'll have a spot, one area. And it'll just impact, like for me, it just impacted my hands. Mm-hmm. Other people, it could spread. Um, it can spread to your face. And, and that's the other thing with eczema. One hallmark is that there tends to be the this dysbiosis of the skin, specifically with staph aureus, so that's something you have to be aware of and making sure that you are not recontaminating your skin especially if you are experiencing skin infections often is to make sure that you are cleaning you know using clean bed sheets you're not um scooping your hand into tubs of cream and infecting your your moisturizer. Um, so we have to be careful about that because there is a bacterial component a lot of times to eczema. Um, but oftentimes it's just treated with steroid creams, sometimes an antibiotic. And then if it doesn't work, then you're looking at biologics and potentially immunosuppressants.
0: So and I've read that it's um, that it can be. There's some theories around it being an autoimmune disorder because it sort of follows this, you know, flare up, outbreak, and then. Remission and then flare up very much like if you think about Hashimoto's, you know, there's yeah. a flare up, there's a, you know, there's an outb- there, you know, there's puffiness, there's, you know, what have you, and then there's the healing and then there's a remission. It, would you agree with that? Or is there a different, like in terms of the different categories of the eczema, some may have more autoimmune lineages, others are more bacterial in, in their lineage, as you were mentioning?
1: So, you know, what's funny in the beginning, I used to think that it was probably more autoimmune. Now, I think because I've worked with so many clients I rec- and I'm seeing so many patterns underneath, especially with dysbiosis. Um, I think part of the reason we don't understand the flare cycle is because we've had such a disconnection between what's happening internally and what's happening at the layer of this, on the top of the skin. Right. Um, so I don't know. My feeling at this point in time... <laughs> This recording. At the time of
0: this recording, At the time yeah. of this
1: recording, my feeling is that it's less autoimmune, whereas I, whereas I feel and the tendency within dermatologists is to feel that and believe that psoriasis is more on the autoimmune spectrum. Um, so. For me, I'm looking at histamine issues. I'm looking for dysbiosis underneath the surface. I'm definitely looking for these liver detoxification challenges. Um, that for me is usually like the first area of my pyramid. And then potentially looking for allergens and all these other um, you know environmental exposures that could be a factor. But psoriasis is slightly different. Um, because psoriasis can show up in different ways. Um, it can present in ways that are slightly different. It can also, you can also have different types. You can have multiple types of psoriasis, um, I think, I believe too, I've worked with people who have had multiple types of eczema at the same time. To me, I'm just like, okay, you have eczema. Just tell me where it is. Tell me what the sensations are. With psoriasis, you're looking at typically plaques. Um, Sometimes you could have like gutate psoriasis. Um, Some people have like plaque psoriasis. Some people have scalp psoriasis. The thing with psoriasis is, and this is oftentimes misunderstood, is that there are very distinct connections between your liver health and psoriasis. So when someone tells me that they were diagnosed with psoriasis, I'm like, oh, we need to see what's going on in the liver because you have an increased risk of developing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And that is a big deal. So, you know, and there's the increased risk of Hashimotos and thyroid problems. So for me, I think it is important to know what you have and you you know, a biopsy can can be helpful at times determining or differentiating between eczema and psoriasis, but knowing what you have can also help with like, oh, let's look in this corner, let's look in this corner cuz we want to make sure that we're covering all of our bases. The point in you don't want to just fix your skin. At the end of the day, what you were saying is we want to come back into balance as a whole. This is an opportunity and invitation to really pay attention and tune in. So if we're only going to go, oh, I just care about my skin, but we don't care about the rest of it. Like if we have a heart attack, then what exactly are we doing? So that's why it is important to look at all the other connections that that are potentially related to the condition that you have. So with psoriasis... It's not uncommon to see low stomach acid. It's not also uncommon to see H. pylori. You can have skin dysbiosis. It's not always a problem, but it can be. You can have staph infections um, with psoriasis as well, which you, you any of the listeners need to be aware of. Um, but a lot of times, the itchiness, if you have itchy plaques, that is a red flag that you have gut dysbiosis. Because if you've got bugs inside the system that shouldn't be there, the itchiness is usually the sign of that. Right. Um, the other thing I will say is that there is research that has been shown that a lot of times people with psoriasis may have lower stomach acid, thus causing protein putrefication within the GI tract and those putrefication products. So, so, you know, for example, for anybody listening going, what is she talking about? Our gut likes to ferment, the bugs like to ferment starches. That's good. They produce short-chain fatty acids, which are helpful for your skin, for your gut, for everything. It's really good. Beauty sleep. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so the problem is when proteins aren't digested appropriately. So if there's a train wreck at any point in the GI tract, everything else from that point forward will be a wreck because there's no backup system. So let's say, for example, you don't have enough stomach acid. Right there, protein digestion is compromised. It gets down into your small intestine the enzymes are only going to do so much. They're not going to do the job at all, anywhere close to what stomach acid can do. So eventually these bigger partially digested proteins end up in your large intestine where your bug community is. And they start eating your proteins. Was anybody ever opened a package of meat that sat too long in the refrigerator? Hmm. It smells pretty rank. Mm
0: -hmm. It's bad.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's what's happening inside your GI tract. And so the byproducts that the bugs produce from the protein are called putre- they're putrified and they're not good for you and so what we know is that about within about an hour after eating that meal 50% of those putrefication products are actually in your bloodstream so this Underscores the necessity to make sure that we're writing digestive function, um, and also, like I said, the thyroid. You have to get your thyroid checked because there's a there's a pretty big connection there. Um, and we know that yes, there's an inflammation component to this, but you know, again, the conventional treatment could be possible. Steroid creams could be light therapy. Um, there are biologics as well um, that oftentimes people use. Um, I believe there are some possible immunosuppressants. Um, most of my clients don't even go that route. Usually, it's like, "Well, should I take Humira? Should I not?" Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like vitamin D and retin, like retinoid stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of different factors to this. Um, you also, yeah, I mean, we could go down so many rabbit holes with this, but um, I would just say that if you have psoriasis, list out all of the symptoms you have. Also, ask yourself if you ever had a strep infection because strep can actually trigger gutate psoriasis. And it is really common that clients not only had strep in the past and they're like, oh yeah. And then like six months later, I I had my first outbreak or a month later, I had my first outbreak. um, That The strep is hiding in their GI tract when you do a comprehensive stool test. So it's still in the system.
0: That's such good information. And I have a lot of familiarity with psoriasis because of the arthritide, because of the psoriatic Arthritis, So we would see like, it's the classic mm-hmm. like sausage fingers and sausage toes, right? So if you were having inflammation, if you have, um, I can't remember what the presented, I think it's like 40, 35 to 40% of uh, individuals who have psoriasis go on to develop PA or psoriatic arthritis. Mm-hmm. And again, when when it now turns into an arthritide, it is going to destroy the capsule. So the capsule gets destroyed, the tendons that attach into the capsule gets destroyed. And then as you were saying, um, they're at a higher risk for other conditions like CVD, like cardiovascular disease. There's other things that you know, mm-hmm. depression, and, and we were talking about suicide rates as well. And I know, um, uh, I think it, is it Kim Kardashian who has talked mm-hmm. about having psoriasis. So she's talked about like how this has impacted her. Um, so we've talked about some. You know things for amping up gut uh, liver function with the glycine. What are some best practices for someone with with psoriasis? Is there some best practices or general recommendations for psoriasis care that, uh, or for ameliorating some of those symptoms that you might uh, recommend? Or is it really getting in front of a uh, you know doing the GI um, looking for strep, looking for mm-hmm. some of these things? What what are some best practices that someone can do that's been maybe dealing with this for a while and doesn't know where to start?
1: I would definitely say consider doing a comprehensive stool test, not biome. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. You're allowed to say it and I'll <laughs> agree with you. <laughs> Please <laughs> don't do biome. Like yes. there that is such a I so in I, I think because I've been a patient before, mm. I'm very sensitive to um, asking people what tests they'll pay for because I recognize they're out of pocket and they're expensive and yeah. then supplements cost money. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a big fan of let's do everything. So let's be efficient with our money. (laughs) Let's be efficient Mm because this is a long road. It's not going to go away in two months. It's not going to go away for some people. I have some clients that we're like a year and a half in. We've made huge dents, but their system was so messed up where we started. So I'm not saying everyone takes that long, but you just have to be prepared for a road ahead. And so... Let's be judicious with what we spend money on. And I think if you're going to get a stool test, something like a GI map is a good place to begin. Um, on that test, it will help us identify if there's any pathogens, if there is H. pylori present, if there are issues within the like opportunistic bugs like Morganella. Um, sometimes people have high Staph aureus in the gut, high strep, um... I mean, I've had clients show up with parasites, although sometimes parasites don't show up on stool tests. You know, that's why it's important if you get a test that offers you a lot of clinical data and you combine that with conventional labs and a really good intake, a lot of times you can figure out what some of those like missing pieces you're like, oh, but based off of this, and you were, you were where in India? (laughs) there's probably a likelihood there might be a parasite in there. Water in
0: the Dominican Republic. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I'll I'll just say that I know, (laughs) I know Naveen personally. So, you know, I know his company Viome. I think that he's on the right track. I think that the technology is not quite there yet. Like I've done the test myself. I had the AI spit out and I was like, what? No, this is not And and there's also, there's an art. I mean, there's a science to things, but there's also an art in clinical interpretation. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, as much as I, you know, we talk about AI and replacing humans and all that, there's just with, with clinical interpretation, you need experience. And that's not an algorithm. That's a human. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe that now and I and this is this is this is evidence-based medicine. This is what we're talking yeah. about. We're talking about the literature and we're talking about the clinical experience of the interpreter and of course you you meld that with what the patient wants. That's actually what we're calling evidence-based, not a computer that's spitting out some, like based on some algorithm. Um so I I tend to agree with you on I want
1: to get up on a soapbox and clap for you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> It's
0: important. It's important it because I think people are like, hey, we can tech and like in five years, self-driving cars and self-driving planes and tech tech tech. And I'm all for tech. All yeah. in for tech. But I also think that there is an art to diagnosis. There's an art to differentials. There's an art to listening to the patient. You can't you're not just like check boxes and an algorithm. So
1: Right. And also yeah. too, it's about saying all right, you have these symptoms. Here we have this, you know, we have this actual testing that shows that, you know, the problem is you get this 52 page report and I'm like, what am I supposed uh-huh. to do with all of this? Like, like this, this is do like, uh-huh. right. And yeah, I've yeah. had clients that had like some really serious, like I've had clients show up with C diff. I've had clients show up with some really weird random thing. I'm like, you need to go back to your doctor. That That's like antibiotic zone. You got to get that dealt with. And it's amazing. Like getting that dealt with actually helps get them further down the line. And then now you can just like, now you can pop in with the antimicrobial herbs and people are more comfortable. That's why I was saying, like, I, I got to the point where, yes, I understand that there is a, and I'm not a doctor, so you 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 all who are listening can take from this whatever you feel, but antibiotics do have a time and a place. And there sometimes someone is so sick, like, are you really going to wait six to eight weeks for your protocol to hopefully, fingers crossed, work? When they're suffering, they can't sleep, they can't work, they're miserable, they have no energy. Like At a certain point, you have to say, what, what's best for this person to help mm-hmm. them start really feeling better and getting back to a more functional state of being? And then yeah. we can do all these other things. But as to your point also about the AI, I've had clients that'll come and they said, oh, I had a food sensitivity test. And then I did uh, this you know, stool panel I bought off online. And I'm like, okay, I can't do anything with these. And they're like, well, okay, why not? I Like, I figured I got all this done. And I'm like, I can't, but these are not clinically relevant. And unfortunately, they spent all of their money that they had to do this on tests that actually weren't helpful. Mm-hmm. So that's why you want to be careful. We don't need to do all the tests. We just need to like really be judicious and do what actually will be most helpful in this moment. And then, you know, through, I agree with you, like through having that clinical experience, like you can kind of listen to someone and go, wait, you know what? I actually understand what's going on here. This is where we need to look.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't matter. Great. Problems. I love that. So let's talk, I know uh, you said the diet and elimination diets mm-hmm. are you know, not the be all and end all and we should not focus on that, but are there general principles that we can be thinking, and maybe not even just applied to people with, you know, eczema and psoriasis, but if we are thinking about how can we promote, whether it's prophylactically or reactively, a, you know, the healthiest skin that we can, Uh, we had touched on uh, butyrate or we were talking about short chain fatty Mm -hmm. acids. I assumed we were talking about butyrate. Um, (laughs) So we talked about butyrate in terms of its ability to communicate uh, with the skin. It helps with, you know, it helps with gut permeability. Like what are some general diet principles that someone like, what are, so we've talked about glycine, like some actionable things for the listener. If you have eczema, mm-hmm. psoriasis, you get hives, you know, whatever it is, what are, <laughs> or, or or nothing or nothing, yes. you know, what are some principles that you would like to see people implement in terms of promoting skin health?
1: First of all, clean up your diet. If you eat a lot of junk, I, I think that go- needs doesn't need to be said, but it's amazing. I do apparently still need to say it. So Mm -hmm. clean up your diet. That would be the first thing. The second thing I would suggest is to go gluten-free. Not because I think that gluten is the devil, but more so because it increases gut permeability and there is a high likelihood that you have some sort of GI problem lingering under the surface, even without any like gut symptoms. Mm -hmm. So by removing gluten, it can help reduce the inflammation and, and help keep at least what's in the gut, hopefully in the gut. Not permeating into your body, triggering other types of immune and inflammatory responses. As far as the rest of it, I'm going to give some general foods that I really like. However, I want to just caveat with anyone can be allergic to anything. And I work with a lot of people that are allergic to a lot of different random things. So, you know, please don't get mad at me if you happen to. Allergic to something I suggest. So, ground flax seeds can be really helpful for, especially if your skin is dry. Um, like, I don't know why with eczema, for some reason, I guess it, it may be also too that it has a good uh, fatty acid profile with omega 3s and such, but ground flax seed can be really helpful. Just don't do it if you are got diarrhea. That's going to make it worse. So that's or can not... you go to tolerance? Like, or will you find that? Um, about two tablespoons. Okay. I'll usually have people go up to. But again, if you have loose stools or diarrhea, don't because it'll make you feel worse. Um, I love salmon and other like cold water fishes because of the omega. Again, it's helping to tap down the inflammatory response. Um, and I think that we fixate a lot on, in, at least in our society, a lot on meat products, but Sometimes, if we don't live near the coast, it's like it feels like a little bit more of a chore to add fish into our diet. So, you know, even if you get canned, um, you know, canned sa- sockeye salmon, and I always recommend get it with the skin and the bones. Um, I, tr- I assure you will not get poked in the mouth by the bones because they will completely disintegrate. Um, but th- it's just a great source of nutrition. Um, you can also oven steam salmon or cod; those are great options. And even sardines are another. Really good option that can be easy and affordable for most people. Um, I would also say like beets can be helpful, except if you are um, if you have psoriasis and are taking methotrexate, there seems to be some medic some interaction between beets and methotrexate. So there's that. But beets help with your liver and they help support your liver and obviously have good fiber as well. Just don't be shocked if you've never eaten them before. If your poop and your urine tend to have a little. Pinkish or magenta tone. You're not, You're not bleeding.
0: Not bleeding. You're, not bleeding. <laughs> You're
1: not bleeding. I did that.
0: I did that. Different. I remember being pregnant and I was having beets. And I was like,
1: Oh no, I'm going into labor.
0: And it was like, Oh no, wait. I had a beet salad. No, not, not bleeding. Not going into labor. Yeah, no, no. not bleeding. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and then you were mentioning butyrate. So two yeah. really good sources of butyrate are ghee and pistachios my yep. favorite
0: i love pistachios
1: <laughs> so those can be to like when i when i recognize that someone actually needs those in their diet i'll be like so you can add some <laughs> ghee to your protein shake and have some Pistachios as a snack. And I'm like, really? I was like, yeah. Mm. Uh, and again, as long as you don't have a dairy allergy and you don't have a nut allergy, so you know, there's always the caveats because, like I said, I work with so many people with allergies and such. But those are really good options. Um, I'm not 100% all in with this idea. Like, uh, in eczema, we should remove eggs because, yes, more people with eczema tend to be sensitive to eggs, but you could also try duck eggs. You could cry some other, like quail eggs, and you might be okay with those eggs. Um, So there's that. So you might not necessarily be sensitive to chicken eggs. Um, And I would just say with nightshades, some people with psoriasis do see an improvement removing nightshades. With potatoes... um, if you skin them, you actually remove the the highest concentration of the gluco the alkaloids are actually in the skin. Mm-hmm. So if you peel them, that will actually not that I'm suggesting people eat potatoes, but I like to give people options. Sure. Um, so you know, I've had clients where they just remove peppers and tomatoes and uh, eggplant and they seem to do a lot better. But if you are sensitive to nightshades, just recognize that ashwagandha is a nightshade. So that may be off the table for you um, if you find that you need a little bit of an adaptogenic support. So for the most part, that's pretty much it for those two. I do want to add though, if you do suffer with seborrheic dermatitis, you have to be really careful with yeast. Um, Yeast-based foods can actually make it worse, and you might notice that you're at, you cause you trigger flares. Like, for example, if you go and drink beer or wine, um, even fermented, like fermented foods, a lot of times may be an issue. Um, things like uh, sauer, sauerkraut. sauerkraut or even like the soy sauces, vinegars um, may be issues. Kombucha, I usually ask people to kind of cool it on those. Um, and for those who have with eczema, like more of a histamine picture where they're taking um, like Zyrtec or, um, oh goodness, the other names are eluding me, but you, you, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you're taking an antihistamine medication every single day because you're so itchy, you may want to consider removing some of the high histamine foods like the fermented foods. Um, I don't think you should go crazy and dive into that diet per se, but sometimes just taking out the things that are fermented and cured, cured might be meats, enough yeah. Yeah. yeah, to help you like just reduce the histamine load enough that you're a little more comfortable because yeah. a low histamine diet is difficult and you can't do leftovers. So I try not, to have someone go that route unless it's really necessary because with histamine overload, it's, it can be complex, especially if you get to the point where you develop hives, for example, just from walking outside where it's hot or Mm -hmm. putting on your bra Mm -hmm. that the pressure causes hives. Like at that point, your system is so sensitive that it's a really, that's really challenging. And so you're going to really need the help of a physician probably at that point, if you're at that, at that level of sensitivity, Um, but there's definitely gut implications and there's definitely potential hormone connections, all sorts of stuff.
0: And what about, you know, just topically, are there, do you ever recommend alternatives to, I mean, we were talking about the hand sanitizers Mm -hmm. and washing our hands. Like now it seems like you have to, in order to, enter a store, they have like a little dispenser there for you to, you know, wash your hands with the <laughs> hand sanitizer, which I have certain strong thoughts about, but um yeah. we can bench those for a moment. But are there, you know, for someone who has eczema or psoriasis, like you were saying, like even the water, you were saying your story, like in the winter, if you wash your mm-hmm. hands or something, the bending of your hands it would start to crack the skin, like turning the knob. Are there are there alternatives that you recommend? Uh is there like skin baths that you can do or is there other things that we can do to help um just I don't like, I don't like, yeah, topically. So not like, not the petroleum based stuff, but is there any, is there other things that we can be doing to help with the barrier with the mm-hmm. skin barrier?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of things. There is a product. I'm not associated with a company at all. It's called Indigo Calm Balm. And it's a great cream that includes um, probiotics um, you just have to be careful if you're allergic to some of the botanicals in it. That's what you want to look at. Again, allergy people, you got to read all the ingredients. Um, I've found that for some clients, it actually increases their time that they they can go between using steroid cream, which is pretty nice. Um, so that's one option. There are also other indigo. I should say this for psoriasis too, because I think this is important. So indigo has some very interesting properties to it for people with psoriasis and so this cream may also be good for psoriasis there's also some others on the market and on Etsy that you can purchase and I've had clients tell me that it actually like makes their plaques smoother and less rough and just has has a really improved feel and appearance so you if you haven't tried that you might want to give something with indigo in it a, a try um I am a Big fan of like zinc uh, creams that include zinc, like zinc oxide, because we can absorb zinc through the skin, um, especially where skin is pretty, like when my hands were pretty messed up, putting something with zinc in it on those, like kind of like tiny little cuts. And I'm not suggesting if you have an infection. That's a different ballpark here. You have to. We're go talking to a about doctor. the rash.
0: We're not talking. we about... just talk
1: right. So if we've got a rash and there are like splits in the skin, but it's not open, not oozing, it's not you know like killing you in pain that type of thing. You know, you could try out something with a zinc in it. That can also really help from um, the layer of the skin and can be absorbed. So that's that's an option. Um, and as far as like. Baths are concerned. Some people like to do oatmeal baths, colloidal oatmeal baths, where you just basically like puree the the oats and then put add it to a bath. You can there's all different types of baths. There's even chlorine, like a Clorox like use Clorox, basically chlorine baths. Um, I always just tell people, if you're going to do that, and it is an option to help control overgrowth, just talk to your doctor and make sure that it's appropriate for you. And obviously you don't get it anywhere near your face, but there are implications with that because Clorox is uh, <laughs> pretty caustic, but you're using a very diluted solution. Um, and some people try apple cider vinegar. Some people will try um, using Epsom salt. Um, I have had some good luck. This was recommended to me by by a colleague, Krista Bigler. Um, There's a product called um, Ancient Minerals. I think it's like bath salts with OptiMSM. And so it's this product you can buy on Amazon. And um, it can really be helpful, especially if you've got issues on the hands and the feet to kind of like do a soak. But as far as like, you know, sanitizers... That's really tough. I don't like to use those nasty gels. Um, I use some spray from Dr. Bronner's. But then again, I don't have... I'm sure there's alcohol in it, but I don't have any cuts on my hands. You could potentially try like hypochlorous acid, which I know sounds awful, but... um, I uh, had talked with someone earlier this year on my podcast all about the use of hypochlorous acid to dis- to sanitize surfaces, especially in operating rooms. And there are some companies that produce hypochlorous acid products that you could potentially try. And I know one, ap- Active Skin Repair, I think they're like, they they had something earlier this year that they were being fast-tracked for something to potentially see if it could be used uh, to desanitize for, for uh, you know, the C the verona. The Rona. Verona. The yeah. So um, so there's that option. But as far as if you've got hand issues, like seriously stop using regular full strength soaps. Uh, I had asked Rachel Pontol this exact question. She had said, get like a Dr. Bronner's soap. Uh, um, thin it out with water, put it in a foam pump. That way you're getting the minimal amount of soap on your hands and um, you know, just don't use hot water. Hot water can sometimes trigger eczema and itching and such, Uh, you know, use lukewarm or cool water and wash your hands. Mm -hmm. But I'm a bit like, I'm afraid I'm like, this is years later, years later. I'm still afraid I'm going to get rashes on my hands. I've had a few outbreaks over the years. It happens. And so like, I'll just, Walk in and out of stores. I do not touch my face. I don't mm-hmm. touch anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And when I get home, I wash my hands. I'd rather try and wash my hands with the 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 watered down soap. The Castile than just, it's
0: Castile soap that you're yeah. using. Yeah. The Bronners. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Then then continuing to use the hand sanitizer sprays.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on it, and it's it's always you know, it, it's funny because it's almost like the lazy person's way to sanitize, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, surgeons don't like. Do a couple pumps of the hand sanitizer before they go into surgery, right? Like they properly uh, clean things. So I'm I'm not a fan of hand sanitizers in any shape or form. And we've done a couple episodes on how it actually thins out the skin, yeah. right? And it actually makes you more susceptible to bacterial and other and other invading organisms um, as well. Jennifer, you have been such a wealth of information. It's such a joy to talk to you because you are so well-researched, so well-spoken. And this is, I mean, I've, I visited like in preparation for our conversation today, I was on your blog and listening to a couple of your podcasts. So if, if people want to find you, if they want to inter, you know, work with you or just find out more about the work that you do, like plug the podcast, plug you know where you are, how people can get in contact with you, the Instagrams, the emails, like how can people find you?
1: I have a website called skinterrupt.com. It's basically SK and the word (laughs) interrupt.com. It's It's very easy to find. Yeah, Yeah, because I want to interrupt the conversation that we're having about skin because this is not working. It's not helping any of us. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're, We're very much all about interrupting that conversation. And so as a result, I started the Healthy Skin Show podcast. I think I'm like over 160 episodes at the date (laughs) that this was recorded. So there is tons and tons of free content um, for you guys to listen to. It's available on all the podcast platforms uh, out there. Um, And I'm also on YouTube and uh, Instagram. You can find me at at Jennifer Fugo. I'm also on TikTok at Jennifer Fugo. So I'm I'm pretty much everywhere for the most part. Um, And I really like to share like what's going on with my cases and and more in-depth stuff on Instagram. Um, so if anyone's on there, that's a, that's a great way to connect with me. And um, yeah, I just look forward to helping serve people wherever they are and help them piece together answers. Because I know you just want your life back. You want your skin to be healthy and you want your life back. I get it. And um, I hope that anyone listening to this walks away with inspiration that it is possible, that you're not doomed, that you're not cursed. But... Um, there's other things you need to dig into.
0: I love it. And we will have all of your, where people can find you in our show notes and then uh, the products that you've mentioned as well. I'll I'll put the links in the show notes for there as well. Thank you so much for your time. I know you are jumping right from this conversation back into patient work. So I just want to thank you for your time, uh, for your brilliance, for your presence today. This has been wonderful. I know it's going to help a lot of people.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: All right, Bettys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jen. And this is going to help you either from a prophylactic perspective, help protect your skin as we move into the winter months and give you some strategies in terms of how you can improve overall skin health. And if you do have leaky skin, some ways that we can begin to improve it. Now, I would love for you, if you felt so inclined, to leave a review of the podcast. I promise you, I read them all. And next week, I'll be reading out a few more. And it just warms my heart that you are finding this valuable. So either a five-star rating or a review would be absolutely lovely. And if you have suggestions for the podcast, I want to hear from you. So please join us in our free Facebook group. It is called Better, The Better Community. And it it's free. Uh, we have this is actually where we get all of our Ask Me Anything questions from. And if you have a suggestion for the podcast, I would love to hear it. So, one of the suggestions, I'll give you an example, we had one of our members suggest she wanted to hear a lot about vaginal health. And actually our next AMA, we are putting in a lot of her questions in there. So if you have questions, there is nothing that I will not answer. So put it into the Facebook community and looking forward to seeing you there. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship form, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Asima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.